Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, after teens are shot and now two have died, we'll get you an update in just a moment. Over the Thanksgiving weekend, City Council Member Keisha Waits is proposing a citywide curfew. While I appreciate for some families this may be an inconvenience, mm-hmm. I believe that this is a very small price to pay to save lives because there is a responsibility. You are having to plan the funeral of your 12-year-old child. I can assure you, you would choose to be slightly inconvenienced. Now, that was from yesterday, but today we'll hear from Atlanta youth advocates and founders of LEAD Atlanta, CJ and Kelly Stewart. Also this hour, new record for Black Friday shopping. Of course, you know, sales hitting over $9 billion. But what does this mean for long-term trends, even amid ongoing inflation? And we'll find out what y'all are out there buying, because apparently y'all are buying up stuff. So we'll talk about that. Plus, candidates are lining up for the special election to fill the late House Speaker David Ralston's seat. WABE politics reporter Raul Bali has that and more General Assembly news in just a moment. But first, we want to get to this latest news. The Thanksgiving weekend shootout that took place near Atlantic Station has resulted in another death. 15-year-old Cameron Jackson was one of six shot Saturday night. He had been in critical condition and we're told was on life support. Also, 12-year-old Zion Charles died at the scene last Saturday. Now, according to APD, there were two groups of students of kids on the 17th Street Bridge. This after one group was escorted out of Atlantic Station. This is still an ongoing investigation. No arrests have been made. In other news, more than a half million people have voted so far in Georgia's U.S. Senate runoff. Now, Monday's turnout was the most ever on a single day of early voting. Those big numbers, though, aren't simply a sign of voters' enthusiasm, as we hear from Sam Greenglass. Brigitte Peck and her daughter Sophie waited about two hours to vote on Saturday at the Chastain Park Recreation Center in Atlanta. Sophie is a sophomore at Kenyon College in Ohio. She requested an absentee ballot for the runoff, but her mom says it hadn't arrived by the time she was getting ready to go back to school after Thanksgiving. So they lined up to vote early in person. There were college students all around us. There was a sophomore from Michigan who was in front of us with his parents and there was a senior from Virginia Tech who was behind us with his dad. All of those students saying that they were there because this was the only way they were going to get to vote. Georgia's new voting law condensed the runoff to four weeks. That left a short window to return an absentee ballot and fewer days for early voting than during the nine-week runoff in 2021. So more people are lining up to vote early in person at the same time. The Georgia Secretary of State's office says voters' willingness to stay in line does demonstrate enthusiasm. But voting rights groups like the ACLU say even if every vote day this week hits 300,000 ballots like on Monday, Georgia would still fall below the early vote total from the 2021 runoff. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. State regulators are considering whether to raise rates for Georgia Power customers in part to increase profits for the company's shareholders. The rate hike would increase the average household bill by about $14 a month, as we hear from Emily Jones. Georgia's largest utility is again making the case for increasing the return on equity for its shareholders. Aaron Abramovitz of Georgia Power responded when staff for the Public Service Commission pointed out that the amount the company wants is above the industry average. We're talking about Georgia Power here. We're not talking about the average utility. 
The utility argues it's not fair to compare Georgia Power to different utilities in other states. Officials also said that what's best for shareholders is what's best for customers, an idea commission staff refuted. The commission's final decisions are due next month, and the new rates will kick in on January 1st. Emily Jones, WABE News. Now, as mentioned, Georgia is set to hold a special election on January 3rd for the North Georgia seat house of the late David Ralston. And now there's a lot more to get to as well. So I want to work, work, welcome in WABE's politics reporter, Raul Bali, who also was nice enough to bring donuts for me and my <laughs> producer, Daniel. Thank you so much. No problem. <laughs> Let's begin here. Before we get to all this General Assembly news, again, Raul, these early voting numbers, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a runoff and it's only maybe less than 4% or whatever of those who are eligible to vote in the state, but still some turnout, some record numbers here. It, 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 you know, it's astounding to look at these numbers, but again, as, as Sam pointed out and others have pointed out, this is a compressed schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not weeks of early voting. It's basically one week of early voting with, you know, a couple of days that were added by some counties on a Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. even some last week. Uh, so... And, and more importantly, because so many people ask me this question, what does it mean for the race? I don't know. Yeah, nobody you know, knows. It, you, you know, because <laughs> both sides will tell you this is great for us. They, they do. I, the one thing I do want to say that the one group that's intriguing me are these. I think the last number we had was about 21,000 people who have not voted this year at all. They weren't they didn't vote in the November election. But now they're voting in this runoff. That Those people intrigue me probably the most. And that would be a voter I'd love to talk to. Of what's bringing you to the table now that didn't bring you in November? Yeah. My question is, what you doing? I'm <laughs> I want to know. Uh, let's ca- talk about, though, uh, as we get to, and, and we, we won't know what happens. But again, you know, we'll wait and see. But I want to talk about the General Assembly for a second because um, we do have a special election coming up to replace uh, the late Speaker David Roston. Interesting names here that that are that are putting their their getting on the, getting out to replace him. Absolutely. So this morning, uh, Cherie Ralston, uh, David Ralston's widow, announced that she would run mm-hmm. in the January third special election. And in her announcement, she specifically mentioned mental health care reform. Mm-hmm. And you may remember during the legislative session, Speaker Ralston credited her for being like kind of one of the big mm-hmm. big uh, inspirations and big push. Uh, you know, to get that legislation across the line. Obviously, he put in, uh, you know, he put in a lot of his mm-hmm. political capital into it as well. Also running in the race, and it's not a name that most people in our audience is going to know, is Brian K. Pritchard. It's a name that we know in politics because he's a talk show host in mm-hmm. North Georgia. Yeah. Well-known talk show host. He moderated one of the only Secretary of State's debates among the Republican candidates yeah. back uh, back earlier in this year. So, you know, it's and he's by the way he's already chimed in about Cherie Ralston jumping in the race, um, and and this was his statement that he sent my way. He goes, House seats are not transferable. This seat belongs to the great people of Georgia. It's not up to Atlanta uh, to pick a successor. And I should mention that uh, Governor D- Governor Kemp has already chimed in on this race, and he's endorsed Cherie Ralston. So. Interesting dynamics. You've got some interesting names that that have already jumped into this race. A popular talk show host mm-hmm. and the widow uh, of of the speaker. Well, let's back up for for listeners that may not know. It, you know, one could make the argument. Well, look here, dude. You're a talk show host, and look, you know, this is someone who's also been you know, no stranger to politics. I mean, yeah, you know. and, and and just to let people know about a little bit about her history. So she worked in David Ralston's law office up mm-hmm. in North Georgia. And then for the past year, she's been the executive director of the Fanning County uh, Development Authority. So, you know, she has been involved. She, you know, and obviously she was involved with what happened with the mental health bill. But, you know, Brian Pritchard's also a big name up there, too. How big is that district? That district is going to be Fannin County, mm-hmm. Gilmer County, and then just the very top of of Dawson County. So mm-hmm. that's what covers that district. Now, do the same rules apply that, that someone has to get 50% and so this could this go to a runoff? <laughs> yes, the runoff date for that's going to be uh January 31st. So it is possible. Which is interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, it's I mean it depends on how many people jump into this if it's just those two then it's going yeah. to be settled January 3rd and there'll be a member in that seat when when they gavel in, otherwise there won't be. And by the way, something interesting, there is another special election out in my hometown of Augusta, because people may not remember Wayne Howard died. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, his brother is running in that special Mm -hmm. election. So it's a family affair in both of the special elections going on in Georgia right now. 
Um, if you are looking at this in terms of, well, you know, you have the governors, and obviously we know what Speaker Ross meant to so many people, but especially obviously to Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, Kemp's endorsement may go a long way for Ms. Roston. I, I think, and it, it likely will, because look at the numbers. And I'm not looking at the numbers of what happened in November. Go mm-hmm. back to May. Governor Kemp, I think, got about 70% of the vote in Gilmer County and maybe 60% of the vote mm-hmm. in Fanning County or vice versa. Yeah. Governor Kemp did well, even in that area, because in North Georgia, there was more of an anti-establishment yeah. kind of, you know, whenever I would travel up there and, and, and go to all those counties in North Georgia, even then Governor Kemp did well in the Republican primary against David Perdue. Let's talk about those who have been elected. And as we get ready to get ready for another legislative session, we've got the significance here, very important of the Asian American and Hispanic caucuses here. First time, yeah. Look here, you know, for those in our audience who don't know, I'm an Asian American man. I'm Indian American. And the idea that there's going to be 11 state senators and representatives in the Georgia legislature who are Asian American, it's just, it's a bit mind blowing to Mm -hmm. me. It's it's a, a diverse caucus. It's Bangladeshi, Pakistani, mm-hmm. Vietnamese, Korean. It's it's pretty well. And it's Republican and Democrat. It's bipartisan because you know, you've seen um, uh, a couple of Republican Asian Americans who are like Charlize Bird, who's mm-hmm. been there for a few years, mm-hmm. along with Sue Hong, who got elected. And mm-hmm. in the same case with the His- with the with the Hispanic caucus that's coming in, Jason Anavitarte is a, is a Republican state senator. Mm-hmm. Ray Martinez, a name that our audiences might know as as the former mayor of Loganville, mm-hmm. is coming into the Georgia legislature. I had an interesting conversation with Long Tran, who mm-hmm. is the representative-elect from Dunwoody. Yeah. And I was just like, so so what does this mean? He goes, a lot of the issues are the same. Education, for example, is is obviously big sure. in the Asian American community. But, you know, if English-only legislation pops up, mm-hmm. that's something that that he feels like most of the Asian American caucus would, would, would go against. Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing is the idea of language services. Sure. Um, you know, and the example he gave was licensing for nail salons for yeah. that was just one example he gave having that in for example vietnamese mm-hmm. well if, if folks are wondering well you know why this ex- why this is significant look georgia is a southern state you know it's always when we talk about demographics here we, in the past it's always been black and white and, and having more diverse lawmakers means more representation that is also just the core of the significance of this for the folks that stop emailing me talking about why is this a big deal i actually get an email that says why is this a big deal it's a big deal people stop emailing me i want to give you a perfect example uh for our audience can go back and look at our uh, the story by emily Wu pearson yeah. um on the idea of regulating water spinach i know and that, that may seem random mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a vegetable that's popular uh in the in the asian american community mm-hmm. And you had State Representative Marvin Lim go to Gary Black, the Agriculture Secretary, on how to regulate this. I mean, mm-hmm. it may seem like a simple thing, but that's what representation is. Absolutely. Is, is for, for something like that. You know, holidays, count, school calendar holidays that maybe match or are flexible to other communities. Absolutely. That's, that definitely, you know, are, are just some of the things that, that come into play. You need a special permit for water spinach, don't you? I do not know. That's why I probably need to reread Emily's story again. <laughs> and that's why we, yeah, we love it. And by the way, I, I, I've had water spinach. It's very good. Just saying. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> what for. I love food. Y'all know that. So yep. anyway, um, let's talk about, it's not too, it's never too early to talk about, you know, folks pre-filing measures. And I love talking about this because I get emails. Let's talk about casino and gambling there. Uh, right. What are we hearing? Are we going to hear this? Every year, I feel like for the last five years, we have this conversation. Will gambling come to Georgia? Sports betting, slots machines, whatever, poker, whatever have you. We'll- I think in the end, it's really going to depend on Democrats. Mm-hmm. Because really? I think that it, that's been now the case for a couple of years. But Stacey Abrams, when she was running for governor, she and she said she was endorsing that. She was not against casino gambling. To put it on the ballot. To put you it on need, the ballot. To, you need two-thirds in both. You need a two-thirds majority on both sides. Sure. And, you know, I, I was explaining to someone what the real challenge about, about gambling is. Where does the money go? You know, and I did this once with a, a young reporter. Besides the house, meaning the yeah. house one always wins. Or should it be? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about the Georgia house, but you're right. right. Um, 
It's just the, and I did this. So I'll give you a perfect example. I had a young reporter with me who was trying to understand gambling. And I said, we're going to talk to the next five lawmakers, no matter who they are, when they walk out of the legislature, walk out of the chamber, what would you do with the money? And it was all different answer. Healthcare, education. Mm-hmm. No, I'm never going to vote for gambling. It's a whole, it's what do you do with the money? Okay. Because so that's the issue? That's one of the issues. Okay. Obviously, you're going to have a contingent of lawmakers on both sides who are wholly against gambling, whether it's religious reasons or they're concerned about the social impact. So you've got people on both sides who have issues with gambling. But again, one of the big issues is to get it on the ballot, what does the money go to? Mm -hmm. Does it just come back to the legislature and they decide what to do with it or not? And also, do you have a separate authority body to, because the hope lottery folks will tell you, we don't want to deal with that. That's we don't want that to be combined. We don't want lottery sales and, you know, sports betting and all that. We, we want that to be separate. So would a new authoritative body have to be created? And that would take legislative. Will it would. Doing. I mean, it, would it, would it fall, take a lot. Yeah. Would it fall under the Department of Revenue? Right. Would it fall under the Georgia lottery? Who knows? I mean, well, we that, can't even get the medical marijuana folks to get get it together. So imagine how long it would take to get, even if it was approved, it could be some years before you actually probably saw casinos or what have you, because you have to get the commission together or whatever. And, you know, sometimes it takes a long time for folks to get it all together. So uh, any other pre-filed measures of note? Back to the uh, just the idea of pre-files. We've now the pre-file window has been open for two weeks, and only one bill has been filed, which is odd because we were used to the era of tons of bills. I don't yeah. know if it's because of the runoff, because of the passing of, uh, of Speaker Ralston. There's just not been a lot of bills, but of course there have been a lot of people in my ear, and I can just give you a laundry list of bills that people uh, have mentioned to me. Obviously, this long runoff. Yeah. I think we're going to be having some discussions about the continuation of runoffs uh, here in the state of Georgia. I don't know what that's. I do not know where it goes. I don't know if that heads to ranked choice voting or just 40 percent. Here come the emails. Ranked choice voting. uh, Thanks for that, Raul. You're welcome. Um, You know, you just mentioned the frustration with medical marijuana. I think there's going to be. You know, legislation there. I'm going to say uh, let me bring up another word you'll love to hear. Buckhead cityhood. Of course, that. Uh, Let me give you a couple of more interesting things. You know, the EV credit went away years ago. And folks want it back. And I've heard some rumblings that that there could be a push on that. And then let me mention one other uh, abortion real quick. Sure. Not as much dealing with abortion, but the idea that the legislation that failed last year stopping medical abortions, which is the medication Mm -hmm. abortions or male abortion, that could come back. And then I really should mention... The last number I saw was a budget surplus of $6 billion, wow. almost $7 billion. That money's got to go somewhere. What do we do with it? Yeah. Um, that's going to be very, 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 very interesting. I mean, th- that's just some of the things. There's tons of other things to talk about, but right. those are just some of the bugs that have been put in my ear. Meanwhile, uh, Governor Kemp obviously won his uh, reelection here. Any changes within his staff? Uh, in terms of the key members of his staff, no, he's going to keep his uh, chief of staff, his budget person, Kelly Farr, staying in place. One of his key economic development people is going to be headed down to Savannah, that's Burt Brantley. Mm-hmm. But but relatively, you know, kind of, you know, there's there's other movement, you know, Cody Hall, who's been a spokesman for him. You know, he's moving on to, to do his own communications firm. That, that, those are interesting. You yeah, see those Cody movies? hitting up everybody on Twitter, following <laughs> us now. You ain't following me before, Cody. <laughs> but, what you um, doing? You know, the interesting dynamic that I'm going to be watching with Governor Kemp, because, you know, you're always watching the dynamic of what happens in, you know, his first four years and how it affects a reelection run. What happens in this next four years that could possibly affect either a U.S. Senate run in 26 or a presidential run in 28? Because that those conversations are already ginning up. It's not as much, you know, how does it affect, you know, running for reelection governor because he can't. Yeah. It's running for other offices. All right. WAB politics reporter Raul Bali, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Happy holidays, dude. Always good to be on. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact.
Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Oh, we all love a good sale, don't we? Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they're gone, but some retailers have extended their sales. And if you're like many over the past few days, you've been loading up your shopping carts, both in person and online, with a lot of stuff. Clothes, shoes, electronics, you name it. Something for your favorite public radio host, perhaps. Now, according to the data gathered by the National Retail Federation, 196.7 million, with an M, shopped over the five-day weekend. And actually, this is the first time in a couple of years that we didn't have to all shop with so many COVID restrictions. To better understand all of this, let's turn to Mark Matthews. He serves as the National Retail Federation's Vice President of Research Development and Industry Analysis. I don't know how he gets all that on a business card. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much, Rose. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Listen, you know, inflation is abound, but are you all shocked by these numbers? I mean, you all been putting on projections for years now. Any, any, were you like, wow, we still saw record-breaking numbers here? Yeah, I mean, it was a really impressive uh, display of enthusiasm that we saw. And I think, you know, enthusiasm is a, is a critical word here. You mentioned, uh, you know, we we're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, you know, people have almost bottled up you know, their, their desire to go out, go, go out shopping. And, uh, you know, remember that shopping is more than just a transactional exercise for a lot of Americans. It's, it's a social exercise. People enjoy shopping. Uh, you know, it's not just, you know, shopping alone to get things, but, you know, shopping with friends, shopping with family. And I think we saw for the first time in a few years, you know, people able to get out there into stores and, and do some of that. So, you know, not just the 197 million that you, that you mentioned, but mm-hmm. In-store shopping, uh, we, we saw 123 million people shop in-store. That's up 17% versus 2021. So really, wow. really strong numbers. And uh, you know, just just you know, evidence that uh, you know Americans not only have the 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 money to get out there and and spend, but the, the willingness to do so. I was speaking to someone yesterday. We were talking about you know the supply chain and and everything, but something that was been noted is that also for a lot of retailers they had a lot of stock a lot of stuff is in stock so people aren't having to wait for you know even items to be shipped if they're here in the united states and you know there is not this long line of oh i wanted this and it's not on the shelf i mean retailers they've had a lot of inventory to begin with yeah, that's a great point, Rose. Uh, you know, we were we've seen you know higher levels of, of stock across a broad range of categories, and what that's really meant is that you know for the first time in a number of years, retailers have actually been able to discount goods. You know, in the last couple of years, things have been uh, so scarce that, uh, that there was no rationale to discount. But uh, you know, this is a, a very promotional uh, Thanksgiving weekend that we saw, and that's good news for consumers because with inflation. You know, the ability to go out and get things, you know, 20, 30, you know, 40, even 50 percent off Mm -hmm. uh, that really, really helps, uh, you know, when uh, when the cost of gas and the cost of food and everything else is uh, is rising. Do you think also, too, because we're not sure and I'm going to talk about this later in the week, you know, that R word recession, which I think analysts are sort of backing away from. But did you also think that perhaps a lot of folks are saying, look, in case next year is going to be a little tight, let's go ahead and shop up and have us. Let's just get on out there and and shop up as we can and, and get what we can. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a good theory. I think you know a lot of people are worried about recession because that's they they hear a lot of that in the media, right? Uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, the, the challenges that we're going to face next year, and you know already you know with inflation biting in, this is really a chance to you know stock up on a bunch of things at uh, you know as I said before discounted prices. Mm-hmm. You know, 
uh, to be able to go out there and, you know, get clothes and shoes and, and prepare for, you know, maybe, uh, you know, your children going to school next year, you know, buying, you know, a couple of sizes larger, you know, it's, it's a real opportunity for, for, you know, people to put things away and, and save some money. Mark, let me ask you, what do we know about, I mean, listen, the big stores, I don't need to name, name their names, the big box stores, they tend to do well. Do you have any data that suggests how some of the smaller retailers are doing? Uh, you, you know, we, we know that uh, consumers have been telling us that, uh, that they are shopping in, in smaller stores. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, we saw as a holdover from the pandemic. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things that, you know, was a real surprise, you know, we expected to see small stores struggle during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Because, it, you know, many of them had to close their doors or, or they didn't have the, the reach, you know, the advertising reach that uh, the bigger stores do. But uh, what you actually saw was, you know, people rallying in their community, rallying around businesses and, and supporting each other, you know, because in, in many cases, you know, that local shopkeeper, you know, he's he's somebody that uh, that you are happy to support. So I think, you know, we, we, we see a little bit of carryover from that, uh, you know, and people willing to uh, to look around and, and, you know, look out, you know, find more options to uh, to spend their money. Let's get to the good stuff. What are folks buying? <laughs> what are y'all seeing at the yeah. top of this? Let's start with the kids. So, Gotta love the kids. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, toys were up there uh, this year. Uh, toys ranked uh, second on our list right after clothing and, and accessories. And in terms of the types of toys uh, people are buying, you know, perennially at the top of our list over the last few years, Lego. Really? Know, everybody likes that leg. Yeah, yeah. Everybody loves that Lego now. Uh, and then uh, following from Lego, uh, Hot Wheels, uh, toys and trucks. And then after that, you know, just a range of video game related stuff, you know, video games, video game consoles and all that. And I, I don't know, I've got a 15 year old, <laughs> 15 year old at home. So, uh, you know, I think uh, all of his extra money went towards those sort of things. I am glad to hear that and these are main, I mean, these are for old school, the Lego and Hot Wheels and cars and trucks. I'm glad to see that that's at the top of the list. Uh, and I'm nothing against video games. And I have a lot of nieces and nephews and goodness, they they love that. But it, it's, it's nice to hear that the Legos and Hot Wheels and cars and trucks are, are above that. That's, that's encouraging, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, if, if you uh, have younger kids, uh, you know, the, there's definitely you know, something that, that's great about things like Lego, where, uh, you know, it's not just a it's not just a toy, you know, it's a, a building activity that you can do, do together <laughs> with them. You know, it teaches them to follow, you know, instructions. Uh, so, so it's great. The, the biggest issue, of course, is stepping on those blocks. <laughs> right. Let me ask you this. I know gift cards are always I mean, folks love. I, look, I love a good gift card. Um, and for a Wow, that that was sort of the go-to. Are we seeing gift cards still be that that folks are saying, "Oh, what? Let me just go get a gift card, put fifty bucks on it, and give it to my aunt." <laughs> yeah, Rose, you're absolutely nailing our our, our top five list. <laughs> gift cards uh, came came in at number three. Twenty-seven percent of people said uh, they're buying gift cards, and you know, I think you know one of the things is that you know, especially for for older kids, you know, uh, it, it's hard to figure out what you want to get them. Or for you know those uh, relatives you haven't seen in a while and you're not sure what they like or might might not like, you know, gift cards are are a nice easy solution. As we look forward to the next to next year, what are you all going to be paying attention to? How strong these obviously how strong these numbers are uh, throughout the the holiday at the end of the year, and that's an indicator for you all to say, look, next year, all things considered, might be even another banner year. What are you paying attention to? Yeah, so we're, we're paying attention to the state of the U.S. consumer, right? So over the pandemic, consumers built up about $2.5 trillion worth of excess savings. Not savings, but excess savings. And you know, our, our best guesstimate is uh, about a, a trillion and a half of that remains right now. So the interesting thing is that consumers are better off now as a result of the pandemic than they would have been had the pandemic not happened. And that's what's been driving a lot of the spending, right? Uh, 1.5 trillion in excess savings, uh, you know, still sitting on the sidelines, waiting to come in and you know and and buy more things. And you think just because obviously our all of our habits had to change from 2020 mm-hmm. to, to to like you know last year, all of our habits had so folks maybe didn't spend as much, and so you're saying they had some some savings build up, and that's why we're seeing such a banner year this holiday that's- season. 
Yeah. So, you know, not just uh, the, the fact that uh, they were saving money by not going to, you know, movies and concerts or going on holiday and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we've also seen, you know, rapid wage rises in, in recent times. But uh, don't forget that the government, you know, pumped uh, an estimated $10 trillion into the economy, $5 mm -hmm. million in, in five trillion in fiscal stimulus and another $5 trillion in monetary stimulus into the economy. Uh, so that, you know, has had a profound effect on, on consumers. And, and to be fair, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's not, it wasn't spread evenly, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the higher income households are the ones who, who made the most savings and, you know, and got the lion's share of that. But, uh, you know, the, the lower income households, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing, you know, a d degree of bifurcation there. You know, they are struggling more as inflation uh, rises. You know, they're having to make harder choices in terms of what they're buying. Let me ask you this, and I know that you're not an economist and you don't play one on television, but do you, based on, you know, with your expertise here, how likely or not that we will enter into recession? No, yes? You know, I think the the valid question, and, you know, if, if you look at the polls out there, you know, there's a few things to think about. One is, you know, are we going to go into recession? And I think the majority of economists still expect a recession. The second question is how, you know, how bad is that going to be? Most expect a, a, a short, uh, relatively soft recession. Mm -hmm. But I think the the real challenge that we face uh, is, you know, forget about re recession because, you know, what the Fed is doing is going to drive us towards wherever we're going, right? Uh, the fact of the matter is that we are spending money, uh, as this data shows, and the Fed is trying to stop us. The Fed is trying. Well, to they stop folks down. looking for a home. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. You know that those that, big but purchases. That is, but that that's what someone would argue. They'd say, "Well, Mark, look, we know for the big purchases that the Fed, you know, with the with the interest rate, yes, for those wanting to make big purchases such as a house or a car, yes, but for the everyday sort of the person, you know." consumer joe and consumer jane you know look that does it really make a significant dent in a sense in in, in bringing in, in bringing down this inflation not straight away uh and that's the thing you're seeing so you know uh you know if you follow classic economic theory you know as the fed raises rates you're gonna see some of these asset bubbles like housing pop because you're just making it much more expensive to buy a house and frankly you know if you look across all the asset classes in the u.s uh you know it's hard to you know argue that some of them weren't overvalued right yeah. so uh you know having a bit of a reset is fine but the you bring up such an important point here, which is that what the Fed is doing is raising rates now. The impact doesn't happen right now. It happens in the future. Uh, so they don't know whether they've turned the dial up too mm -hmm. hard or not. And and that's really the, the situation that everybody is worried about, right? So the Fed, as long as we have inflation, is going to keep raising interest rates. Uh, but that is pushing us closer and closer to uh, mm -hmm. you know, the proverbial cliff. Sorry, yeah. struggling with that word. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the real question is, you know, are they going to push us a little bit too close? And then, you know, suddenly we've got really, really high interest rates. Everything costs more. Yes, inflation is, is abating, but inflation is abating because the economy is tanking. Yeah. In other words, though, for your 15 year old, what did you get them for Christmas? Or for the holidays? Uh, he he self-bought. <laughs> self <-bought>. uh, <laughs> And he did it. Uh, he did it online, and uh, basically bought himself some some video games. And my wife came by the other day and said, uh, "Don't you think we should at least know which games he bought?" And I'm <laughs> right. like, yeah, but you know, maybe that's maybe that's not a bad point because he just disappears in the basement. You know, uh, he's 15. Uh, oh. He does his own thing. Oh. So uh, at least I found out what games they were. So right. and, and and they're they're not too bad. So we're we're okay with it for the time being. All right. Mark Matthews, the National Retail Federation's Vice President of Research, Development, and Industry Analysis. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you. Same to you. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. 
Another youth has died from this past Thanksgiving weekend shootout that took place near Atlantic Station. 15-year-old Cameron Jackson was one of six shot Saturday night, and he had been in critical condition, and we, we are told he was on life support. Now, we know that 12-year-old Zion Charles also died at the scene last Saturday. And according to APD, there were two groups on the 17th Street Bridge. This, after one group was escorted out of Atlantic Station, Authorities have yet to confirm exactly what happened and no arrests have been made. So now we have two young folks who have died. Now, yesterday on the program, I spoke with Atlanta City Councilmember Keisha Sean Waits about her proposal for a citywide curfew. Let's talk about the legislation that you are proposing. This would call for a 7 p.m. citywide curfew for all youth ages 17 and under. That is correct. Uh, essentially, what we're asking for, unless you are involved in organized athletics, you're working uh, a job or you are with your parent or some type of uh, supervised guardian uh, that can provide you know, care for you or whatnot, we believe that this is the hour, uh, at least I believe that this is an hour that will be reasonable for young people, specifically a 12-year-old child, uh, to be sheltered or to be home. Now, many of you responded via email about the proposed ordinance as to be expected. It was with mixed reaction. But I want to bring in some regular contributors to this program, as we always do when we talk about our youth. C.J. and Kelly Stewart, founders of LEAD Center for Youth. Thank you both for coming in on short notice. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Kelly, I want to start with you. And C.J., first of all, you all are, are parents. Mm-hmm. You, you have daughters, beautiful daughters. Um but you hear again another child now has died, mm-hmm. Kelly, 15-year-old. I said to CJ when, I, um, when he read that to me, we have a 15-year-old daughter. And so this is a very tragic and hard time right now in our city. And um, it's time, past time for solutions. And that's why we're here to talk to you today to see if we can come up with that. CJ. Yeah, same thing. I mean, we, we have a 15-year-old daughter, but I also remember when I was 15 years old, and uh, just by the grace of God, still here because sometimes I was in the wrong place at the at the wrong time. Um, and so, were you doing wrong? Sometimes, uh, I mean, at, at 15, mm-hmm. um, I I was doing some things that was that was wrong, and actually have quite a few friends that were incarcerated, some that died. And uh, so, as I as I saw this today about the second young man that was was killed, it just started to make me even think more about me still being alive and the work mm-hmm. that I need to do. Work that you need to do. And listen, we've had, I think you all been on this for, how many now, six years now, something like that? You all mm-hmm. been, since the beginning, since we've been yes. talking about solutions and everyone agrees there is, we don't know the solution that can solve all of this. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to this event that happened over Thanksgiving weekend, and a lot of folks want to lay blame. It's because of this, it's because of that. But now we want to talk about solutions. And so, Kelly and CJ, you also heard the mother um, who talked about she was reaching out for help. This is through Mrs. Charles, Zion's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of optics around this, and mm-hmm. we may not get to all of them today. But Kelly, as a mother, mm-hmm. listening to another mother talking about, I went for help. I didn't know. I tried. I failed. She mentioned older boys cursing her son to do things that were illegal, car break-ins. When you hear something like that, did it, is there a solution to help a parent who's in that situation? So my heart goes out to Ms. Charles and all of our parents, you know, in the Atlanta community who are in this situation. I think we have to have a broader conversation about influence. Who has influence over our children's lives, starting with in our household and branching out to the different parts of the community that we have to rely on. And I think we need to make a clear distinction that everybody's community is different Mm -hmm. based on your socioeconomic and your racial situation. Um, In the Buckhead community where our kids go to school, community is a nanny. After school, a nanny provides protection, supervision, meals, whatever. Uh, in the inner city community of Atlanta, where we're talking about families who are living at a little poverty level, that community extends from school to nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. like ours. And so we just have to make sure that we are immersing our children in more positive influence uh, to drown out the negative that unfortunately is out there. 
C.J. Kelly talked about starting with who has influence over our kids. You mentioned you were 15, and, and who did someone have influence over when you make those decisions? They weren't the best decisions, and you're still with us. Thank God for that. But mm-hmm. influence, how do you get that through kids? So when I was 15, you know, we had moved. We, my, my parents were navigating financial poverty when I was born and, and moving through working class. And we moved to College Park. So at 15 years old, I mean, I remember, you know, it was supposed to be that we were supposed to be escaping um, the, the hood. Mm-hmm. But when I was 15 years old, that was the first time I started seeing drugs and drug sales in College Park. And so, um, you know, it was the it was the suburbs. Um, sports was the thing that had the most accountability on me, probably even more so than my parents. Um, I mean, my parents were loving, but I was still curious. I mean, I was still trying to find my way. Um, I, I I knew I was going to have punishment and consequences and whoopings and things like that from my parents, but man, I just didn't want to let down my coaches. But at the same time, I felt like as a teenager growing up in College Park, it was so much that I was supposed to experience that my friends were experiencing. Mm-hmm. People were telling me it was bad, and I was trying to test it out myself. But at the end of the day, I think the thing that really saved me the most was my, my coaches. Is this simply, not simply, is this also about having resources, having a place for kids to go? And listen, people, folks email me, well, what, our kids can't go to the mall? I'm not saying that, you know, but listen. When you have a bunch of kids going to the mall, sometimes it just it's a, it can be a recipe. Mm-hmm. Is this something where we need to have more, just more resources in communities, whether it's Southwest Atlanta, East Atlanta, you know, community centers? I, I, Kelly, is it something that simple that kids need a place to go as opposed to all going to Atlantic Station or wherever? Yeah, I wish it were that simple. I mean, um, when we start talking about crime, we cannot have a conversation about crime without having a conversation about poverty. And then when we start having a conversation about poverty, we got to pull back the layers to understand how we got here. So there was this article just came out. We've now taken back the reins of um, having the highest income inequality, uh, inequality yeah. disparity driven, driven racially. So when you have a generationally disenfranchised racial group of people who have not been able to accumulate wealth, you are counted out when it comes down to having access to certain levels of enrichment, access to certain levels of resources to help you as you raise your family. So I wish it were as simple as if we build something, we have somewhere for all the kids to go and it would be, you know, fixed. But it is about, you know, families who uh, are not well resourced for personal and systemic reasons and we have to deal with that as well because what I want to make sure that people understand is you know our our family's children are not just running amok in the street because our families don't care people mm-hmm. got to work mm-hmm. and and sometimes people don't have um the skills to uh, garner a job that where they can just work one job sometimes people are working two and three jobs just to make ends wave at each other not even meet mm-hmm. so um, we have to consider those things as well CJ, I have a, a, email, a listener, someone, a listener that says, you know, are we also taking too much accountability off parents here? Yeah, I mean, so we problems don't just create themselves. Problems are created by people and problems are solved by people. And so that's why, you know, it's very important to start having some dialogue where, we can start with getting in our feelings and then we can also have a conversation about facts. And so, you know, I think about my situation when I was a kid, um, I, I love my mom and dad and, um, you know, my mom and dad, both of them only worked one job. My dad worked, um, late at night. Uh, and I remember around the time about 15, 16 years old, um, my mom had a, had our, a third child, my youngest sister, um, Erica. And, um, you know, it was it was it was it was a lot of emotion in the house. It was a lot of tension in the house. I'm at a place where I'm trying to go out and I'm trying to do different things and have girlfriends and go to the mall and all that kind of stuff. And my mom is uh, and dad are you know raising this third child. Um, 
And so a lot of times with a lot of the tension that was in the house, uh, I, I wasn't getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to get that attention, I would lash out and I would I would do things. So the point I'm trying to make is I had good parents in the house, but I was also a 15-year-old boy that was mad as hell. So in other words, also, too, just don't assume someone is not being a good parent when this happens. And I got to tell you, you know, and I should stop. I should not read comments. And I, you know, <laughs> you read comments when you read. And folks lashing out at the parent, blaming parents. And look. Again, that's a whole other show, but we're here today to talk about possible solutions. And Mm -hmm. now another child is that. Kelly, you all, with Mm -hmm. the boys that you all, and the young girls, but I want to talk about the boys for a moment that you all work with. And and you have some success stories, success stories of how programs like LEAD and other programs. And and again, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of organizations in this city that do some great work. Absolutely. And I guess the point of this is, do we need more of those? So, first of all, we need for the organizations that are in the city that are doing great work to be properly funded and supported. So when we talk about accountability and responsibility, yes, there's enough of that to go around. So, yes, the family unit is the primary source, you know what I'm saying, of accountability when you're talking about raising and rearing children. Um, When we start talking about how do we as a community rally around our families who don't have the kind of support they need to help their children become successful, we have to understand that, you know, in the nonprofit world, um, to take a quote from a rap song, we really out here trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We really need to be properly funded, understanding what the things that have already been taken away from youth in the forms of areas to go for recreation. I just got this. It says, Rose, the thing we can control is parental responsibility. There's no reason for a 15-year-old child to be out unchaperoned after 9 p.m. And we need to be clear, this happened before 9 p.m. Just want to make that clear. Parents need to be curfew curfew enforcers. It ain't about poverty or education or income. Any excuse for not keeping your child safe is just an excuse. So my, so my response to that is, what about the parent who is leaving to go out to work when the kids get home from school and leaves clear instructions for their children, X, Y, Z, do not go out, do not do this, and children do it anyway? I don't care what color you are. I don't care what socioeconomic background you come from. You have disobeyed your parents. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, that disobedience did not cost us our lives, and we should be thankful to God for that. But we should be careful to stand in judgment of other people. The curfew in favor, yes, no, CJ, some modification there. So I I would love, first of all, I mean, one of the things that the city does a a great job of in moments of crisis is coming up with committees. And so I'm raising my hand saying I want to be a part of one of them, having a shared experience of that group of boys that was out there, that that I was one of those um, boys, you know, without completely understanding um, what's involved. For me, when I think about that, because we have 250 boys in our program Mm -hmm. and we're providing transportation and transportation is a very expensive thing, uh, that wouldn't be a problem for our boys. Because Mm -hmm. after school, we're we're sending transportation to pick them up, bring them over to the Lee Center for Youth. We're taking them back home and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, That definitely is going to be problematic for organizations that don't have uh, transportation if that is is enacted. But as far as whether I think it's... um, I want to be able to sit down and have a real honest dialogue with people before we, so that we can figure out what to do so that, because unfortunately people don't have honest conversation and then you end up just saying, this is what we're doing. Right. And a citywide curfew at 7 p.m. So a lot of questions here. You know, as a parent, you know, CJ and I, we sit together and make decisions for our children that in theory sound great, but when we apply them may not be so great. So I know curfew sounds um, like a blanket solution to fix all of this. And I know, you know, the mayor and the chief uh, and, and, you know, the city council. And this council. is just a city council. One person okay. proposed is not coming. I want to be very gotcha. clear, not from Mayor Dickens, but from a city council. Okay, member. thank you for that correction. So the city council is trying to use. Um, or this member. This this, this particular yeah. member. Mm-hmm. Okay, bring it back, Kelly. Okay, this one particular <laughs> member uh, has this idea and trying to use the tools that are in this member's tools box to fix what's going on. I get that. Questions that I have, what does the application of this 
you know, look like? How do we make sure that it's an equitable situation? You know, when you talk about youth who are 17 and under, um, from what I from what I read, um, you know, is this some is this some type of stop and frisk situation? Like, how how are we applying? There are a lot of optics around that. And yeah. If you are, if you're not with someone, and you know, Councilmember Waits did say, look, that there has to be a lot that goes into this. And we're also researching. My producers are researching whether or not a curfew has worked in any other mm-hmm. city comparable to Atlanta. And 7 p.m. Let's be really clear too. 7 p.m. is you know kind of early. Yeah. You know. And does it will, will it really have an impact on youth, you know? I think it goes back to where we started with influence. You know what I mean? So it's like when I tell and CJ tells McKenzie and McKenna you cannot go out after 7 o'clock, they're not going out after 7 o'clock because of the level of influence that we have over their lives and because we are the paramount influence. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was growing up, I can't say I had that same situation in my household. Love my grandma, love my mama to death, but there were other people outside of my house who had greater influence over me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that influence was negative. So I disobeyed. I snuck out the house. You know, I did those things. You know, should I die because of that? No, I, I shouldn't. Well, and it's- Kelly, I want to bring up something else, too, and CJ, because there is something else, and that is the gun violence. It's not just two groups of kids who were fighting. You know, the old school, CJ, you know, we used to throw throw them hands after a basketball mm-hmm. game when my team beat you. Mm-hmm. But these kids, it's not, it's not that way anymore. Not you know? at all. It's the gun violence that's involved as well. Yeah. Well, the gun violence, I mean, one of the things that it does do is, is it, it, it removes all the extra stuff. I shoot a bullet, and that's one of the things, too, that's just so ironic where – we, we try to talk about, well, there's no one silver bullet, but we got bullets out here killing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to I mean, it, it, it takes some time and some skill to actually have a conversation and feel like you're being heard and so on and so forth. So uh, uh, unless that's being modeled in a house or modeled within your community, that's not something that you're going to go to. And so, um, you know, the gun violence is something that's quick. Uh, is easy, but also too, I believe just as I'm talking to boys, I don't know if they are, I don't know if they understand the clear consequences, especially in Atlanta around if I do this, this is what's going to happen. For them, it's just if I do this, then I'm just going to go to juvenile and so on and so forth. So, like, there's no, and then, and then, can you really have the accountability that you want to have and deal with the backlash of? you know, you're attacking young black boys. Mm-hmm. So we really have to have a really different conversation. So from conversations to hopefully some type of solution, mm-hmm. it's not easy. We've been having this conversation for years. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, I'll give you the last word. What is your hope then? My hope is that we can surround our boys, um, our youth in general in the city of Atlanta who need us with immense positive influence so that we can drown out all this negativity that is destroying them. Kelly and CJ Stewart, founders of LEAD, the LEAD Center for Youth. Thank you as always for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Again, no no easy answer, but we'll keep we'll keep working on it. Indeed we will. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE Politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE Politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE. 